clarifies. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time together as family, this time to fellowship in a unity that you provided by grace through faith, Father. What a tremendous privilege it is to gather together in a place like this, peace and quiet, protection, in a country like this where we can worship you this way without persecution. Father, we're so grateful for all the grace gifts that you've shown us throughout the years, and we're grateful for this evening as well as we prepare to take in the very bread of life. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that can't be with us this evening, that they be edified nonetheless, that they're able to receive this message somehow. We pray also for those that are still lost in this world, Father, that you guide them, that you humble them, that they be humbled and repent and receive saving faith before it's too late. Father, we're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make an evening like this a reality for each one of us to enjoy. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the Lord is our confidence. And so, given our recent messages, we might ask a good question, like, where exactly do we find this confidence the Spirit's been teaching us about? Where do we find it? Here's the first hint. Sanctification, which is really, confidence is really fruit of sanctification. Sanctification is a function of obedience. So if you want confidence, if you want this thing, we've surveyed enough scripture at this juncture to say that it's fruit of sanctification, that confidence is fruit of sanctification. And sanctification is a function of obedience. Sanctification in of itself is confidence, is it not? Just think about that. Sanctification is confidence. To be sanctified is to be confident. Hmm. To be confident is to be sanctified. Peter speaks very clearly on this topic. Go to 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Again, the point on the board, sanctification is a function of obedience. Peter speaks very clearly on this topic. 1 Peter 1, verse 1. It's good to be here, huh? Isn't it so cold out? You come in here, it's nice and warm, and you get fed. It's awesome. 1 Peter 1, 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace 
and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that, I love this so much, so that, why? Some of you are saying, yeah, I've been grieved by various trials too. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, some of you probably have the proof of your faith, right? But here in the English Standard Version, it's so that the tested genuineness of your faith, and think about also in Romans, obedience of faith, how that happens, the fact that you're obedient so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so we see Peter speaking to that point on the board, but we also see this at the end of that passage up here on the board, the salvation of your souls. This is both a current and future reason for confidence. A current and future reason for confidence. Being saved, we shall be saved. Being saved daily, we shall be saved for all of eternity. Salvation today instills eternal confidence. Salvation today instills eternal confidence. I know that's a whopper of a principle up on the board, but sort of take it in, take it home with you. Uh, see the, I call it, I, in my head, it's just a sphere. It's all in the same sphere. However you'd like to think about it, uh, digest it, take some time with it. This is both, when he's talking about the salvation of your souls, this is both a current and future reason for confidence. The fact that you're being saved daily. How about that? Being saved, we shall be saved. Being saved daily, we shall be saved for all of eternity. Salvation today instills eternal confidence. Think about this, obedience of faith in 1 Peter 1.7, and in Romans in its entirety, breeds confidence. Obedience breeds confidence. Why? Because obedience is the uh, precursor to sanctification, and confidence is fruit of sanctification. And so if we string those things together, using Holy Scripture, like we just noted in 1 Peter and Romans, obedience of faith breeds confidence. Confidence, again, is the fruit of of sanctification. Hence this point on the board. Sanctification is a function of obedience. That's what the Bible teaches us. On Sunday we were encouraged from Holy Scripture to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. To work out our salvation with fear and 
trembling. And that's a case of obedience as well. Philippians 2.12 is where we got that from. The way we strung that together on Sunday was this way. Working out our own salvation means partaking in our own sanctification. Partaking in our own sanctification implies obedience. That's a command. Work it out. Be present. Be there. Obedience implies, again, being present. And by the way, Ann Parent won the two pieces of candy for coming up with what could have easily been a message title on Sunday. The funniest part about all of that, as soon as Tammy's done blowing her nose, <laughs> the funniest part about that, so I'm like, oh, Ann, you win, right? 20 minutes later, Don's like, I got it. I'm like, do you guys communicate? Don's like, I got it. I'm like, your wife already got it 20 minutes ago. What's going on? And besides, I'm going to give you back the candy you give me every month or something. So, just saying. <laughs> this would have been the title. Present but not present. Could have easily been Sunday's message title. So, Anne, I owe you two pieces of candy that your husband gave me. <laughs> present but not present. It is entirely possible and sadly very common, to be physically present while somewhere else in our heads. That is present, but really absent. Children especially sense this, and so the Spirit brought out the idea of uh, families and children uh, sensing that from their parents, and even that in America especially, with all the technology and what have you, parents are less present, maybe now more than ever. And that's a real tragedy. And uh, if you're a parent like Joey and Andrea, new parents, they have to think about these things, to be present, to be active, to be present uh, in the child's life. So we reflected on this on Sunday. We all sat back for a moment and considered those individuals in our lives that we love the most. Just really get to the nuts and bolts of it. What about those people we loved the most? And we asked the pertinent question, What's love without intimacy, but merely a word? What's love without intimacy, but merely a word? And as a side note, sex is not love. I hope everybody here understands that by now. Sex is most definitely not love. It really has nothing to do with love proper. It's merely an expression between husband and wife only. But nonetheless, what's love without intimacy, but merely a word. Love imply, implies the desire to be present in the life of another. Love implies the desire to be present in the life of another. That's what love does. Love can't help but express itself. And so it wants to be present in the life for someone else's benefit even. And by the way, it's divorced from physicality which is why we can be with someone in spirit more than someone who might be sitting right next to that person. So even being present in physicality, they're divorced, strictly speaking, which means that I can be on the other side of town and someone that I love knows and feels my presence more than the person sitting next to them on a bus. Just consider the presence of God, the one who loves us the most, 
and consider some holy scripture. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. Did he walk on battlefields with them? No, but he was with them, and his presence was known. His presence would have been, for those who are faithful, more known than the soldier right next to them. So be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's what it means when we talk about God's presence. He's always with us. He's available to us. He's faithful to us. Why? Love. Because he loves us. And love can't help but express itself. And therefore, a loving father wants to be with his own, with his kids and his children. Again, we are considering the presence of God. Go to Hebrews 13, verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5. And we're just establishing a baseline here. That's all we're doing right now. We're establishing that God is present. And we can have a certain confidence in that. And of course, we're going to take it back to ourselves after. But we need that baseline. We need the perfect example from a perfectly loving God who is perfectly present. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Isn't that beautiful? I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Is it fair to say that the one who loves us the most is present for us? Yeah. The one who loves us the most is present for us. Indeed, that's true. Again, the principle up here on the board that we're developing is this, present but not present. That's certainly not the case with God, but often is the case with us. It is, therefore, entirely possible and sadly very common to be physically present while somewhere else, excuse me, in our heads, that is present but really absent. Children especially sense this. Now, to be fair, children aren't the only ones in families that sense this lack of presence. Parents do as well. The love of a parent is a unique bond. And let's face it, this bond has a longer history from parent to child than from child to parent. Why? Why do I say that? Because babies are selfish blobs until they... Until they're beyond infancy. Is that fair? That's, they're just selfish. They, they, but a parent from the, the moment, even before they're born, the parent loves them. The baby mm, could care less. Give me milk, give me food, wipe my bum, put me to sleep. Just take care of me because the world revolves around me. That's, that's a baby, right? And so if you think about that bond, it exists for a, a significantly longer period between parent and child. When parents spend time with their kids, they want the kids to be present, not just physically there. Why? 
love. That's why. Because they love their kids and they want their kids to be there. Now, imagine the infinite love our Father in Heaven has for His own children. We cannot put boundaries on it even. In fact, the Bible says it is beyond human comprehension. Even so, it's one thing to say such a thing and another to express it. Something we, all, we humans fail at constantly. Go to Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8. So in other words, even the Bible could just say, you know, God loves you so much. And that should be enough. But the Bible doesn't leave it there. The Bible shows us how God expresses himself. Romans 5.8. We don't have to just say, well, that's a nice fact. We can say, oh, I see. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love. Do you see it? He shows it. Why? Because love can't help but express itself. Why? Because God is ever-present. So God is present and God is love. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were aliens to him in that sense, while we were uh, separated from him, spiritually dead, left for dead, while all that was going, antagonistic to him, enemies of him, he saved us. He became a man and died. God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So back to being a parent again. As a parent, have you ever looked, if you're a parent, have you ever looked past the ridiculousness of your child and shown mercy instead of discipline, compassion instead of warranted punishment? Or as a child, have you ever been treated this way by a parent? What motivates a parent to act like this? What is this an expression of? Love. Love. To not receive what you deserve. To receive something much greater even. Mercy or compassion or loving kindness. That's what love looks like. While the child in such a scenario is physically present, they'd rather be anywhere but where they're at in that moment. But that doesn't stop the parent, does it? The parent is present for that child, loving them, just like our Father in Heaven loves us. Just like our Father in Heaven never leaves us or forsakes us. Just like our Father in Heaven reconciled us to Himself through the death of His Son, while we were still enemies. While we were still enemies. Love crosses all chasms. Love crosses all chasms. And as a side note, do, please don't make this romantic. It's not by world standards. Um, you know, you might find a Hallmark card that says something similar, right? Love crosses all chasms, baby. 
some junior high school kid's giving it to his sweetheart, right? My love crosses all chasms. <laughs> it's not like that. To me, and hopefully to you, biblical romance is very different. It's whenever we can see our loving God cross all boundaries to save us. And that's something that occurs daily. Remember that. That's what true romance is, that we have a God that loves us enough to cross all boundaries to save us. It doesn't get any sweeter than that. What do you want from another human being? You want something greater than that from another human being? You're just asking for disappointment. That's one of the great lies in this world. A romance. Ooh, he swept me off my feet. Uh, or poor, late, poor young ladies who think sex is love and all that garbage. It's a terrible lie. What's the point the Spirit's making here? Well, it's consistent with the one he made on Sunday up here on the board. Our presence matters. And just to put some of this together, obedience requires presence. Love, by the way, is a command, which means it has to be obeyed, which implies obedience. Therefore, love requires presence. If you string those things together, love requires presence. Its expression proves its existence. Words are vapid in the absence of expression. For example, we just saw in Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us. Even God didn't come up short. He didn't just say, I love you. He said, I love, I'm going to show you my love. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to become like one of you. I'm going to become a man. Ooh. I'm going to become one of you to sacrifice, to show you how much I love you. That's what love does. It crosses all chasms. Again, obedience requires presence. Love is commanded. Therefore, love requires presence. Its expression proves its existence. Words of vapid in the absence of expression. We've already noted God's presence in our lives with Holy Scripture even. Now let's see how in His presence He expresses His love towards us since they coexist as per the point on the board. Go to Psalm 86.15. Psalm 86.15. So let's just see how He expresses His love. We know He's present. We know what the Bible says. We know the Bible says He loves us. But what about that love? Romans 86.15 sets us up nicely. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. How about Jeremiah 31, verse 3? Jeremiah 31, verse 3. And so these are sort of the proclamations. These are the proclamations. And thankfully for us in the church age, we have the New Testament that really points to the show of this love on the cross, all that he accomplished. Jeremiah 31, verse 3. <clears throat> Jeremiah 31 3 the Lord appeared to him from far away I have loved you with an everlasting love is that even fathomable 
How do you, how do you um, conceive that in your own soul? An everlasting love. That's not that romantic garbage on a Hallmark card. That's real love. That's, what, that's how God loves us. And that's his proclamation. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Now, let's get to the, sort of the bread and butter. How about Ephesians 2.1? How about the proof point? So we've got the proclamations. How about the proof point? You probably already know where he's going with this. Again, we're just getting our perfect baseline for presence and love. Ephesians 2.1 And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, and we saw this earlier but in Romans 5, but God being rich in mercy. Why? Because of love, right? Our weak analog was a parent with a child. Uh, love, uh, being merciful, uh, being compassionate. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Any questions? Because of that, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Whew. Up here on the board. Obedience requires presence. Love is commanded, therefore love requires presence. Its expression proves its existence. Words are vapid in the absence of expression. We just saw uh, a pair of a proclamation and then a show, another pair. Uh, in the sphere of God, he is present and he is love. Hence, go to Romans 8.38. Romans 8.38. In the sphere of God, he is present and he is love. Hence, Romans 8.38. We're just sort of skimming across the top of all this scripture. Romans 8.38. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, will be able to separate us. Again, the point on the board, our presence matters. Obedience requires presence. Love is commanded. Therefore, love requires presence. It implies expression to prove it, which we're just, we've seen in several passages now with the perfect, perfectly present and perfectly loving one. Words are vapid in the absence of expression. For example, even God shows his love for us. God is our example then. We are made in his image, although we fell. Sanctification leads us back to our original state. So, on this note, 
the Spirit asked us all the following question three times in a row on Sunday. Since we are flawed, are you present but really absent? I think I talked about, you know, when you read your Bible or when you come to church. You fill in the blank. Are you present but really absent? If you're scratching your head and saying, well, I think so, here's some food for thought on how to tell if you really are or if you're just faking it. Up here on the board, being present. It's impossible to be present if you're disobedient. Hmm. It's impossible to be present if you're disobedient. We are commanded to love others. However, love cannot be merely a word. We must be present in order to genuinely express it. I hope you see what's going on there. It's impossible to be present if you're disobedient. We are commanded to love others. Love, true love can't help but express itself. If you're somewhere else, you're not going to express true love because you're not present. That's the whole point. It's impossibly present if you're disobedient. Well, guess what's a command? To love others. Well, what if you're never present with them? Are you loving them? Are you really loving them? Or are you just doing this number? Oh, of course, I love everybody. I love everyone like Jesus loves everyone. Are you sure? It seems like you love yourself. It doesn't seem like you're selfless at all. It seems like you're selfish. It seems like you love yourself, your life, the self-life, more, much more. And therefore, you're never present. You say all the right words, but you're actually never present. And God sees the heart. And so for some of you, the Holy Spirit's convicting you right now. Why? Because God sees the heart. And that's what's supposed to happen. He's telling you, in the privacy of your own soul, you're never present. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's with your parents. Maybe it's with your Uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe, I don't know, whoever it is, you're never present because you're just self-absorbed. And he's trying to break that. It's impossible to be present if you're disobedient. One command is to love. However, love cannot be merely a word. We must be present in order to genuinely express it. All of this precipitated from this one principle up here on the board. Sanctification is a function of obedience. The practical follow-up question has been this. What is your attitude towards obedience? Honestly, what is it? Because that sort of would be the direction you're going. Are you sanctified as a result of having a good attitude towards obedience? And if you're obedient and you're sanctified, then where's your confidence? So if you lack confidence, then what's the Spirit really saying? Then you lack obedience. Right? If you lack confidence, then you lack obedience. Why? Because the middle point is sanctification. If you lack confidence, you lack obedience. Hopefully you see what the Spirit's sort of weaving together. The righteous way to think about obedience is never religiously, not a laundry list of to-dos, but rather openly, honestly, humbly, as in up here on the board, this principle came out on Sunday, an obedient mindset. Our minds must be fixed on obedience 
as a way of life. Fixed on obedience as a way of life, not merely a laundry list of checkboxes. And yes, there's a difference. The prior is the sphere of sanctification, the latter, religion. A lot of people have a I think it takes people a long time to get out of that. I bet you there's people, I know there's people right now, especially ex-Catholics. They have a very hard time getting out of religion. They think even coming to church on a night like this is the end game. That is not the end game. The end game is what you receive at church. <laughs> the end game is not getting to church. The end game is what you get when you're there. There's a big difference. One is sanctification or sanctifying, and the other is religious. So here's where the rubber hits the road. All of that is review. I know that was a lot. We covered a lot, but those are all points of review that we've done over the last few weeks. Being present like this means you are blessed. Being present, being obedient, they're the same thing, basically. Being present, being obedient, means you are blessed. You're not blessed just by showing up. You're blessed by showing up, if that makes sense. You're blessed by being present. Don't believe me? Well, maybe you'll listen to Jesus instead. Go to Luke 6.20. Luke 6.20. These are the Beatitudes, for starters. Luke 6.20. Really, the Spirit's just trying to sanctify you, to set you apart, to bless you out, to show you the truth about the Word of God and the truth about yourself and how those two things compare. Luke 6.20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and may and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. That is a huge principle. I could probably teach for 10 more days on Luke 26, part, uh, 626, part A. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Dwell on that. Verse 27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Right? These are directions from our Lord. This is, these are what commands look like. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, Offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish, 
that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. You see? Stretch here, he's saying. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Up here on the board. This has everything to do with what we've been talking about. Give, and it will be given to you. This is a promise regarding grace. If we allow God's grace to flow through us, we are blessed. Love gives. Let's get this straight. Give, and it will be given to you. This is a promise regarding grace. If we love God's grace, or excuse me, if we allow God's grace to flow through us, we are blessed. Love gives. Go to Proverbs 11.24. Proverbs 11.24. I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see Holy Scripture. We are commanded to give of ourselves. That's not always money. That's of any kind of wealth we have. For many of us, our greatest wealth is our time or our energy. Or How about our presence? You really think that a child would rather get a new video game rather than your love? But isn't that what goes on? Here, mommy and daddy make so much money, we're just going to buy you more crap. We're not going to be present with you because we're going to be too pooped out at the end of our work days. We'll just buy you more crap, and we'll call that love. Which one do you think that child wants more? Another video game? Or you? Which one do you think the child wants? Which one does God want you to give of? Hmm. Proverbs 11.24 One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. That, has, that, is, that has, makes no sense in world, by worldly standards. None. The world tells you to keep for yourself, invest for yourself, the whole nine yards. The Bible says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched. And one who waters will himself be watered. That's what grace looks like. You could probably, you could tattoo that on yourself if you struggle with it. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings, blessing will be enriched. And one who waters will himself be watered. I'm going to look at the second reference to uh, the point on the board, which is love gives now. Go to John 15, 12. 
John 15, 12. John 15, verse 12. This is grace, my friends. And you can, you can disagree, but you're disagreeing with your Creator. You can, and when I say disagree, you can live a life that's disagreeable to this, because that's what disagreeing is. You may not say, oh, I totally disagree when you're looking at the Bible. But your, your life is what He's after. Does your life disagree with this? John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Yep, love is a command, yep. Greater love has no one than this. This is the pinnacle. This is the, the, the end goal that someone laid down his life for his friends. That you, you sacrifice, you surrender your own life. The greatest wealth you've got, really, to your person is you, right? I mean, that's... That's you. You lay that down for someone else. That's the end of love. That's what love looks like. That's the pinnacle of love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Again, the point on the board is give, and it will be given to you. This is a promise regarding grace. If we allow God's grace to flow through us, we are blessed. We saw that in Proverbs 11, 24 to 25. And love gives, John 15, 12 to 13. So, with all of that on the table, and I know it's a lot this evening, let's step back now and view this curriculum from a big picture perspective. Let's elevate our thinking and consider what the Spirit's been trying to knit together for us in our souls. In brief, we might say that He's been encouraging us to stop Stop what we're doing in our lives. Just stop. Even if it's good, just stop everything and be present with Him. Stop. He's present with you. He loves you. How about you reciprocate? Stop everything. Good, bad, or ugly. Just, just stop. Take pause and measure our fruitfulness against Holy Scripture. And here's the nuance. Here's the subtlety. Measure our fruitfulness against Holy Scripture, not only measure our output, but also our input as well. For as we just noted, we are blessed when we give. So, if the blessings aren't there, can we conclude that the giving of ourselves isn't either? In other words, if you have very little confidence, you tell me, if God hasn't imparted to you godly confidence, what do you think is missing? Obedience. You're not actually, there's no output. Because God says if you, if you take your life, you take the grace that I've given you, and you dedicate it to me, then I will bless you out. The one who waters himself is watered. The one who gives the, the very best that they've got. We call it, the Bible calls it first fruits. The very best of your, that you've got. If you give that, God pours into your lap. We just saw that in Luke, right? And it overflows. But that requires a little thing called faith. Hmm. 
So the Spirit's been encouraging us for the sake of our own blessings. The blessing in view for 60 parts now has been confidence, but it's more general than that. The Spirit's been encouraging us for the sake of our own blessings to step back and examine ourselves. Here's some scripture to help with this. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. I know we're covering a lot of ground. Maybe this is one of those messages you do a do-over. <gasps> oh, wow, wait a minute. What? We record lessons here? Is that you? What? We do that here? 1 Thessalonians 5.1. <clears throat> That's pretty funny. Some of you are like, it's real funny. What's the problem? Like, for real? You don't have an hour somewhere in that ridiculous life of yours? No, for real. What are you going to do? You're going to sit in front of that 70-inch sewer pipe? What are you gonna, honestly, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with that spare hour that you've got? You're gonna, no, I know what you're going to do. You're going to write a little romantic note to somebody. My love is everlasting. Or if you're lazy, you just buy it from Hallmark and spend $6 now on a stupid card. I don't mean to say that. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Some of you are like, I buy those cards. What are you going to do with that hour? It's a fair question, right? Anyway, some of you are looking at me like, just stop. First Thessalonians 5.1. <laughs> I'm getting a GoPro, DJ. Right? You wait. You think I'm crazy. You should see some of these mugs. 1 Thessalonians 5.1, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on, and that's that Greek word in duo, remember that from Romans 13, 14, put on Christ, remember that, and duo, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation, up here on the board, <clears throat> let us be sober. In other words, let us not be intoxicated with the world and its trappings. Let us not be intoxicated with the world and its trappings. Let us rid ourselves voluntarily and proactively of the ties that bind us to evil things. You shouldn't need a, a, a maniacal bald guy to pressure you into straightening out your own life. To hound you into letting go of things that are hurting you. I'm here to encourage you but at the end of the day, you shouldn't technically need me that way. You should be willing. You're certainly able, but you should be willing to rid yourselves voluntarily and proactively 
of the ties that bind us to evil things, whether it's people, habits, stuff, you name it. Whatever that thing is. What did Jesus say? Hack it off. Throw it out. Cut it off. Let's not be intoxicated. Be sober. Again, verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. We see that same Greek expression of donning clothing here, as we saw not too long ago, I just alluded to it up here on the board, Romans 13, 14, but put on in duo the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Again, verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on, that's the same word, the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. In other words, put on is you. You're, it, you. You wear it like a garment. That's what it means. You wear it. it. It becomes you. What are we putting on besides this faith? Love. right? Put on the breastplate of faith and love. I'll borrow once more from MacArthur on this up here on the board, on this verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, on the topic of love. Love for God is essential as perfect love for him yields perfect obedience to him. Me, my comment, love expresses itself in obedience. Love cannot help but express itself. This is an old topic at this point. It should be. Even in this series, love expresses itself in obedience. We want to be pleasing. Like Paul said, whether I'm home or face-to-face, -face, doesn't matter. I just want to be pleasing to you. Love for God is essential as perfect love for him yields perfect obedience. In other words, love expresses itself in obedience. So you've got to concentrate. I know it's Wednesday evening and you're probably getting tired at this point. There's only a few minutes left. The Spirit's trying, think about it this way, and I know, I, I trust me, I'm teaching it, and I'm saying there's a lot that's gone on in this message, but a lot of it is pulling the shoestrings, right? We're just pulling a lot of uh, the topics we've learned over the last 60 parts together because we're exiting this deep dive. So concentrate. The Spirit's trying to tear you away from your worldly habits. At the end of the day, all of this stuff is to prove to you that you have this need, that he's not, these messages are not in vain. They shouldn't be taken that way. He's trying to do a good work in you. So the Spirit's trying to tear you away from your worldly habits, be they anchored in friendships, uh, addictions, routines, whatever it may be. You know what, though? It really doesn't matter what it is that's got your affections, but that your affections are diverted from the Holy One, Jesus Christ, and that your eyes are diverted at all in any way, shape, or form. That's the problem. I don't really care what the issue is. What the issue is, is your eyes are not on Christ. The first place to look is in the mirror. That's usually the most obvious idol. But we all have little idols. Some of you, it comes in the, in the shape of a beer can. Some of you, it comes in the shape of a bottle. Some of it comes in the shape of a blunt. They still call it that? Is that still what they call it? I don't know. Kathy? <laughs> it's medicinal. I know. I got you. It's legal. It's medicinal. 
Right? Kind of like, heck yeah. I don't know. Whatever that thing comes in, in, whatever. It doesn't matter. If that thing takes you away from Christ, that's the problem. That's it. That's, that's, that's the best I got, right? To summarize, to divert your eyes from Christ is to divert them from blessings. Do you get it? Divert your eyes from Christ is to divert them from blessings. Go to Ephesians 1.3. Ephesians 1.3. We're almost done. This, this message is pooping me out. <laughs> Ephesians 1, verse 3. There's a lot of moving parts in this one. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glory, glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Isn't that beautiful? To divert your eyes away from that is really a crime. As we noted on Sunday up here on the board, 1 Corinthians 2.9, but as it is written what... No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. What is he saying? He's just saying, I want you to be present with me. I'm ever present with you. I've never forsaken you. I've never failed you. I am completely faithful. I am the very wellspring of love. This side of the equation is always here for the taking. I want you to be here with me. I'm your father. I want you to be present with me as my child. I don't want you to be that thing that you were as an infant. I want you to be grown up. I want you to, to come to me. I want you to be present with me. I want you to hear me. I want you to see me in life. I want you to hear the, uh, the echoes of your own salvation throughout every single moment of every single day. I want you to realize that I've saved you every single day up until now, and I will continue to save you until that day I take you home with me, to be with me forever and ever. I want you to be present with me. And the conversation, sadly, often ends right there. And so goes your sanctification. If that's as far as it goes for you, what the Spirit's been saying is that's where your sanctification is stunted. I want you to be present for me. I'm here for you. I want you to be present for me. You're my child. I love you. I want you to love me. Does that make sense? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word here this evening. May you bless it in our souls, Father. May we take it in, and if we need to, take it in again, Father. Thank you for the ability to do that. That is just another form of your grace, Father. May we never become familiar with it. Father, we just ask for your blessings as we take all the things that we've learned back to, the, to our homes and the privacy of our souls and our families. 
and then out to a, a world that's just decaying, Father. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.